0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to SlashFilm Film Daily for October 3rd, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film editor in chief, Peter Soretta And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film weekend editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, guys, we haven't talked about news since last week, so we we have so much news to talk about. We have. Five days worth of news because, you know, Monday we had the water cooler and yesterday we heard all about the best movies of Fantastic Fest. So let's just dive in with a big story that hit today that Disney is is developing a live action Lilo and Stitch movie. Chris, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know?
2: Uh Yeah, so Disney is. I guess just going to remake literally every animated film they ever made. And the latest is now Lilo and Stitch. uh, The 2000, I think it was 2002 animated film. Um, The, the story doesn't clarify whether or not this is going to go to theaters or it's going to go right to the Disney streaming service because Disney is developing uh, films for both. I mean, they have like Dumbo and Aladdin are definitely going to theaters, but then they also have, uh, Lady in the Tramp and The Sword and the Stone, which are going direct to their streaming service. So it could go either way. Um, I have a feeling this probably would end up in theaters because it sounds like a bigger name, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know.
1: Yeah, and this is uh, I think probably the the first. You know, I could be wrong here. I'm speaking without doing this research. But most of the live-action Disney adaptations have been of, like, the Walt Disney classics. And this is the first that's kind of, like, not like one of those uh, beloved fairy tale stories uh, that they're trying to adapt. Uh, Well, I guess Lady and the Tramp isn't a fairy tale story either. But, um, you know, every time I go to Disneyland... Uh, the, the Stitch merchandise is like out of control. There's like, they sell so much merchandise based on that movie. Uh, it was only a matter of time, uh, before this was ha- going to happen. Uh, I can imagine that Stitch will be like a CG creation and we'll have a, uh, young, uh, Hawaiian, uh, you know, star kind of, uh, I almost picture kind of like, you know, <sighs> Am I being optimistic here, Chris? But I I, I think if done right, this could be like a fun uh,
2: Moana live action kind of movie. I guess. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, there's the material is there to do something good. It's just, I don't know. I'm just (laughs) getting Like this film was so recent. There's really no reason for Disney to remake it. I don't know why they're so hell bent on. I mean, I know why they want to make money, but it's getting a little tiresome that they're just remaking everything. But, you know, there's definitely the chance this could turn out well.
1: And the movie has such great style, has uh, some good music, but it doesn't really have a strong story. Uh, Brad, do you have any connection with Lilo and Stitch? Or are you excited for a live action remake?
3: Um, You know, I really liked Lilo and Stitch when it came out. It's not one of my favorites or anything like that, but I think that it's, it's pretty funny and – uh it, I can see where it has the potential for like maybe like an Amblin kind of style live action movie. Cause it, ha- it has flares of ET and things like that, but it's also a little bit bigger and more cartoony than that because, you know, there's the aliens who are trying to track down stitch. So I wonder, you know, are those going to be, you know, fully CGI creations as well, or are they going to change up the story a bit? So that's not part of it. Uh, there's, yeah, it's, It's definitely ripe with opportunity to turn into it, but I I agree with Chris that it feels like it's too early to be starting to take those animated movies and doing live-action remakes of them. Yeah. Uh,
1: Speaking of aliens come to Earth, the first reviews for Venom have hit the web. Uh, Brad, you did a roundup for the site. What are people thinking of Venom?
3: You might be surprised to hear that we have a, a Best Picture contender in our midst. Uh, the symbiote is going for gold. Um, (laughs) Tom Hardy puts in a a performance worthy of Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, it's nothing short of Shakespearean, and it's a classic in the making. I'm just, I I think people are going to be really excited. I
1: I don't think anybody is buying this.
3: Uh, no, people definitely aren't going to be buying tickets (laughs) for this, that's for sure. Uh, in all seriousness, the word on the street is that this movie is pretty ding-dang-dong bad. Um, it's apparently it struggles with trying to be this very odd, uh, dark comedy and a comic book origin story. Um, uh, despite even the people who have bad things to say about the movie, though, they, they keep saying how fascinating and uh, mesmerizing Tom Hardy's performance is. Apparently, like just the way he how, how kind of goofy he gets and the way he portrays going back and forth between Eddie and uh, the voice of Venom. Is interesting um but otherwise it's like the rest of it apparently it just it, some people are even making comparisons to comic book movies from the mid-2000s movies like dead or sorry not deadpool daredevil and catwoman and things like that um and so it's just it just sounds so odd and like but it's one of those things too where a lot of people are saying that it's whether it's intentionally funny or not they had a lot of fun watching it so after reading a lot of these reviews, I'm kind of excited to see it and just, you know, laugh at it, if anything, because, you know, maybe it'll be entertaining in that way.
1: Yeah, I saw the movie yesterday. I'll talk more about it in the watercolor next week. But uh, I think it's probably the best bad movie of 2018 so far, at least um, it is, I, I, you know. Listeners of this podcast know that I had like really low expectations for this movie. I had no interest in seeing it. I thought it was going to be horrible. Uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I'm not going to say it's a good movie because it isn't a good movie. It's a bad movie. Uh, my press screening, I want to say probably there was at least two dozen laughs throughout the movie that I'm not 100% sure were intentional. Are intended to be laughs by the filmmakers. Uh, so it's that kind of movie. You can kind of enjoy it on that level. But yeah, it, it does feel like, you know, a. it feels like someone, you know, went back and, you know, made a movie in like the late 90s, like a Marvel movie, before the Marvel Cinematic Universe existed and we knew how to make those kind of things. And uh, it's, it's pretty bad. Uh, but there's some compelling ideas there, like, Tom Hardy, his performance is interesting, as you said, and uh, the idea that you have a superhero kind of like, uh, kind of at odds with like, you know, he's fighting, the it's a, kind of like a uh, Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing going on there, which is kind of uh, a fun idea, uh, but there's so many WTF moments in this movie, I, I almost <laughs> recommend seeing it just because it's so weird.
3: Is it better or worse than The Mask?
1: You know, I don't have a love for The Mask as much as I love Jim Carrey. So I I don't know. I don't know what to tell you there.
3: Well, see, the fact that you can't say yes or no kind of tells (laughs) me what we're in for. Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah. So anyways, uh, you know, if you have like a movie pass still, you know, if you have a list, you might want to go see it. I'm sure a *Star is Born* is probably yeah, way more worth your money. Past,
3: you're not going to see *Venom* for like a couple weeks
1: <laughs> or ever, or maybe Sony will pay to have people go see <laughs> *Venom* in movie pass. Okay, let's move on. We have too much to talk about to uh, to concern ourselves with things like *Venom*. And uh, let's move. Uh, our next story has to do with Netflix acquiring the rights for *Chronicles of Narnia* not only a reboot tv series but movies chris what do we know hi there peter oh my god
3: (laughs) wow (sighs) so so
1: siri thought i said siri when i said series okay i'm leaving that in okay uh chris what do we know (laughs)
2: Um yes, so the Chronicles of Narnia C.S. Lewis's uh fantasy epic series. Uh for a while there it was going semi-strong as a as a film series, but it it basically ran out of steam. And there was supposed to be a new entry directed by Joe Johnston, and that never got off the ground, and apparently it never will, because now the rights have gone to Netflix, who want to turn it into both um, a TV series and also movies. So they're they're going all in. And this just seems to be the future of every streaming service. Everyone wants their own Game of Thrones. I mean, Amazon is shelling out all that money for Lord of the Rings, and now Netflix has Chronicles of Narnia. So there you have it. Everyone wants their own uh, fantasy epic series.
1: See, I was never really that intrigued by the nernia series uh Brad Chris do, do either of you have a fondness for that franchise
3: No I um I like the first movie for what it was which was basically Diet Kitty Lord of the Rings um but then after that it just I really didn't care at all uh, cuz there was, the third one was Void to the Dawn Treader. what was the second one I Prince, something with a
2: prince. <laughs> prince Caspian.
3: Yeah, Prince Caspian. That's right. Um, so yeah, it's I, such it, it's a just,
2: memorable film.
3: Yeah, I just didn't <laughs> just stopped caring, um, and it was just wasn't wasn't something that I was interested in. Like Harry Potter was already filling, you know, that void for me pretty well, and Lord of the Rings uh, had also, you know, d- done fantasy on that level uh, distinctly better. So it's just. I don't I don't care. And I I honestly, I'm not really that invested in anything, anything in a new adaptation of it either, because I've I've never really had a fondness for the books uh, either.
1: Yeah. I wonder if we're at an age level that it's just like, you know, we were past it. Like, I wonder if, uh, you know, someone 10, 15, 20 years younger than us uh, have a a nostalgia for the Narnia movies and are are interested in this. But, uh, you know, write us. Peter at slash him. com. if if you are that person, I'm, I'm curious. Uh but let's move on to our next story, which is John Favreau's Star Wars TV series, which is coming to the Disney streaming service. Are you fucking kidding me?
2: I found something on the web about what is coming to the service. <sighs> yes.
1: This Thank is this you, is Jerry. this is stupid. What, why I love Apple. But why can't they get this right? Why? My Alexa doesn't go off, like, randomly throughout the day.
3: Mine does, actually. Whenever somebody – because I have mine set to say – to respond to computer. because I like to, pretend to, I like to pretend I'm in, like, an 80s movie. Um, someone will say computer on TV, and then they'll be like, sorry, I haven't heard of that. <laughs> it's like, damn it, Siri, or Alexa, whatever your name is. Okay, anyways, the Star
1: Wars TV show <laughs> – um, Apparently, might have episodes directed by uh, Dave Filoni, who was the mastermind behind Star Wars Rebels in the Clone Wars. Brad, what do we know?
3: Yeah, so uh, this is just a rumor for now. But making Star Wars, who is pretty uh, up to snuff on all things that are happening behind the scenes at Lucasfilm, uh, they usually don't run with stuff unless they have like a good source on it and they they are they're confident in it. But this is the stuff is unverified and unconfirmed so far. So. Take it with a grain of salt, but apparently the first season of this live-action Star Wars series uh, will have um, several different directors taking on several episodes of the show. Three of them will be tackling two episodes, and then two of them will be tackling one episode each. And one of the directors that is tackling two episodes is supposed to be Dave Filoni. So this will be his live-action debut in Star Wars if it comes together. Um, It's... Definitely an enticing prospect because it could be a test for whether or not he could tackle his own movie, which I think a lot of Star Wars fans would be excited to see, knowing how much they love what he did with Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. Uh, so it's it's an exciting prospect.
1: Yeah, I love what he did with Star Wars Rebels and ha- having the chance to you know attend uh, the events of premieres and finales at uh, and watching him speak about. You know the filmmaking of those episodes uh it just showed me that he's on the mastery of a filmmaker uh on the level of a lot of the the live action film directors that I love and he he i think was on the set of last jedi uh shadowing. Uh, ryan johnson for a little bit it's learning uh you know learning a bit about that world so i I, w- I would be excited to see some episodes from him on the animated series uh there's also some rumors of uh, of casting from game of thrones
3: yes potentially um pedro pascal who you might remember from game of thrones or from uh kingsman the golden circle uh he's rumored to apparently be in consideration for a role on the show um, it doesn't seem like that we have any idea um, what kind of character uh, he'll be playing or anything like that, since we don't really know anything about the the, the Star Wars TV series. That there have been rumors that it might deal with Mandalore, um, you know, the the people who are tied to Boba Fett and things like that. But otherwise, the only nuggets we've seen so far is there's a, a set that has been uh, constructed and they seemingly have been either shooting or doing camera tests on, and it looks like the kind of set that you might see either on Tatooine. Or Jakku, so it's a kind of like desert, um, like village kind of scene, or, or like more, or not necessarily a village, but kind of like a small section of what could be like Ma's spaceport or something like that. Uh, so yeah, it's, this is, it's again, it's a rumor for now, so we'll see. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it would fit, you know, he's a, he's a better known name from television, not a huge star that's, um, probably what the Star Wars series is going for since the, you know, the series is already going to be expensive enough because of visual effects. So they probably don't have a ton of money to spend on the biggest names for the series. Yeah. And uh, he's a star of
1: streaming uh, too with Narcos. Uh, I am surprised uh, now now that we know that they're shooting a lot of this uh, TV series, not at at, uh, Pinewood in the UK, but in California that they're actually like, shooting on big stages i was i was expecting for some reason you know with john favreau involved and he's done all this like performance capture kind of stuff lately with jungle book and uh the lion king that uh to see you know these set visit visit or set videos come out of like kind of these large uh constructed sets um so that's kind of exciting for me at least um But let's move on to another bit of Star Wars news, and that is uh, that The Last Jedi online backlash, uh, there was a study done, and uh, they found out some interesting things about the backlash. Chris, what do we know?
2: Uh, Yes, so uh, this researcher named Morton Bay did this very um, elaborate, very detailed study, and I won't even try and break down like the facts and figures for you because they're they're very detailed and some of them are even over and, my head.
1: And this is like a a study that has been submitted uh, to scientific publications, right? Or like, uh, yeah,
2: this is an academic paper. Academic, yeah this, is, yeah. this wasn't like just for fun, or you know. So yeah, this is like an academic paper, and uh, through his studies, he's found out. That a large portion of the the very vocal but you know not very vocal online backlash against the Last Jedi has been amplified by Russian uh, trolls and bots. Now, uh, let me say this here because I say it in the article too, but I I have to say this here because I know people will take issue with this. This is not saying that everyone who dislikes the Last Jedi is a Russian troll. That's not what this is saying. (laughs) I'm sure there are plenty of people with their own, uh, what they find to be legitimate grievances against The Last Jedi. And while I don't agree with those, I know, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. So please, please do not come for me (laughs) on Twitter and say, oh, you're, you know, you're just saying, you know, I'm not, this is is someone else's study. I'm not making this up. Yeah, well,
1: that... it, it, and it also had some other stuff in there about not just uh, the Russian trolls, but like politically motivated uh, movements of tweets of uh, of like that that the actual voices of people that actually did not like Last Jedi, like actual fans, was a lot smaller that a uh, percentage wise of all the you know social coverage.
2: Right. Yeah. The, you know. The bottom line here is that while a lot of these people with their their grievances against the film think they're in the majority. They're really not. It's, it's really more of a small percentage. They're just very vocal about it. And there's also definitely a contingency who are very light, uh, very right leaning in that, there are people who think, you know, Star Wars is too progressive, even though it really always has been. But they, for some reason, they thought The Last Jedi was more progressive than other Star Wars films, and they took issue with that. Uh, again, I'm not saying that's everyone. I know there are there are yeah. perfectly normal, sane people out there who just don't like The Last Jedi, and that's fine. But what this study shows is there's a very big majority of people who didn't like this film who are liking (laughs) it for disingenuous reasons. And it's, you know, it's a little, it's distressing to learn. You know, it it sucks that this is what things have come to at this point. But, you know, I encourage you out there, listeners, to go to slashelm.com, read what I wrote up of the study, and read the study itself. It's very, you know, I only scratched the surface in my write-up. There's a a lot more in the study that uh, you should read, and there's a link to the study in the story.
1: You know, Chris, when you publish an article like this, you know, and it goes out on the slash film Twitter, I get all those people that are like angry and they're mad and they're like, I'm not a Russian troll, which is not what what you're saying or I'm saying. Uh, but also it, it's weird to engage with these people because, like you said, they all believe that they are in the majority and that, the, that there really isn't that many people that like the movie. And like to ha- try to have conversations with these people is weird because like you try to present evidence to them and they are only willing to look at their selective evidence. Like they're like, look at this audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was like, well, we've already seen, you know, people have studied that audience score. And, you know, the majority of those people that voted on the audience score are first time users of Rotten Tomatoes that have opened up accounts, you know, right the day of. That they, that they voted. If you go to like IMDb, which has a large audience score or a lar- large uh, readership voting for that movie, it's like a seven point five out of ten. Which I, I I'm not going to say is a gr- you know a rating of a great movie, but that's a, a very positive rating. Critically, it's done well. It's still as of right now the best selling Blu-ray uh, this year, um, uh, above Black Panther. So I I think if people didn't like the movie, why would they be buying the Blu-ray? Like I I just think don't think uh, this narrative this narrative just bothers me. Like it's fine to dislike the movie. I even have problems with the movie. I've you know talked to Ryan Johnson about my problems with the movie. We've had public discussions on Twitter about it. Uh, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I know Chris is one of the people that thinks it's the best Star Wars movie. I disagree, but uh, I like the movie a lot. And I I do think there is a room to dislike the movie, but realize that you're not in the majority. That that is just the vocal uh, majority, which, you know, is consisting of some politically driven stuff and some bots. Um, Yeah, I I think that's what you had to come to. I I hope people listening to this podcast are not in that mindset, but I don't know. (sighs) Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, I,
2: and and on the same level, like, why does everyone even, not everyone, but why do these select people even care if they are, like, who cares if people don't agree with you? Like, it's just a weird way of approaching life. Like, if you don't like something, why do you need so many other people to not like it with you? And the same goes with liking something. If you like something, you really shouldn't give that much of a shit if everyone else is likes it or not. Just just like the things you like and dislike the things you like. That that's really all it should boil down to. But yeah, I guess that's like impossible for some people these days and I don't know why. Well there I I agree with you, Chris. There is a lot of
1: investment because this is a franchise that people have followed all their lives and they've, you know, not only invested a lot of time but probably money, like You know, you look around my home, it's like Star Wars, statues, figures, posters, you know what I mean? Uh, So I can understand if they didn't like this movie, they might uh, take it personally, but I, I agree with you. Um, but anyways, we, we need to move on. We could talk about this all day. I think, um, the next story I wanted to talk about is something I wrote up for the site, uh, that a George Carlin biopic will be scripted, uh, by, a uh, one of the writers of Moneyball. Uh, no, not Aaron Sorkin or Steve Zillin. Uh, it's actually this uh, guy named Stan Chevron, uh, who is credited for the story of Moneyball, a story credit on Moneyball, um, and it's uh it's unclear if this is gonna be a feature film, or a, a, a gonna be released theatrically, or for streaming, or even if this could be a uh, limited uh oh my god I hate to say this word limited series.
0: I don't have <laughs> the answer for 2018. <sighs> <laughs> Just
3: throw your phone away.
1: <sighs> Just throw it away. I I mean I spent a lot of money on it. Uh okay. Um. Yeah. Anyways, I I am a big fan of George Carlin. I loved his comedy. He pushed the boundaries. He was a proponent for free speech. I don't really know much about uh, him, his life story, to be honest with you, other than, like, you know, I watched all all his comedy specials. Um, I was always a fan. I would be interested in seeing a biopic from him, but it seems like this guy that they hired to write this... uh, You know, to give you an example, after his Moneyball credit, Moneyball credit is kind of impressive. But then if you look at it, he followed that up with a 2013 film called Space Warriors, which uh, no one really saw. And it's getting really bad reviews. Uh, It just sounds like the uh, George Carlin estate is trying to get some money and they're involved with this. But uh, I'm hoping it's good. I would rather see, I think, the Netflix limited series version of this. Oh, good. She didn't hear me. Uh, <laughs> then uh, theatrical feature film. Uh, Brad, I know you're a big comedy guy. What, what do you think about this?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you said, like, I wish there was somebody who was more of a relevant screenwriter and continued to work after their, you know, big successful screenplay uh, was tagline. I feel like George Carlin deserves that. Um, so yeah, I don't know, I guess, you know, maybe, maybe it's something he's passionate enough about that he can do another good job and write something as good as Moneyball was, even though I I imagine, uh, you know, that Aaron Sorkin had a lot to do with that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see it. Hopefully it doesn't turn out to be some, you know, cheesy made for TV level movie.
1: Yeah. George Carlin deserves better than that. Uh, but we got to speed ahead. We we were star, we were already like, uh, way uh, over our time here but um let's talk about steven spielberg's next film west side story uh it's a remake of west side story they have cast um the star of baby driver chris tell us about it
2: uh yes so i uh, ansel Elgort, I guess that's how say you say his name and if it's not I don't care because it's a stupid <laughs> name um, <laughs> no I'm sorry I'm just kidding um, but it, yeah the star of baby driver is now going to play the male lead in Steven Spielberg's big uh, West Side story remake um, uh, although they're 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 calling it not so much a remake as they are a, another adaptation of, of the, the the musical play. So um, this is the first real casting we've had of this film. Apparently Spielberg is going through uh, rigorous casting sessions and he's trying really hard to get this cast right. And he's not been having the best luck. So this is the the first um, name attached to the film. And uh, I'm sure others will follow soon because they have to start shooting sooner or later.
1: What do you think of him being cast? Like, uh, do you think he's a good actor for this project?
2: I don't, I feel like Spielberg has this really weird thing now where he's like being drawn to these really bland guys. Like the guy in Ready Player One was that Ty Sheridan. He's really boring. This guy is kind of boring. I mean, Baby Driver showed he's got like, you know, I guess like dance moves because there were, you know, there's that opening where he's walking down the street and he's, he's, he's dancing around. So I guess he'll do fine with that. But I mean, he spent most of Baby Driver kind of just like frowning and not saying stuff so i can't really picture him as a good actor but maybe you know i'll be proven wrong i don't know
1: yeah i'm not particularly excited about this uh bit of casting but it's it is a steven spielberg film and even though i'm not a huge west side story uh fan i i I will say anything spielberg so uh we'll, we'll keep an eye on this and see uh who else he casts in this uh musical uh adaptation but uh Let's move on to our next story, which is uh, uh, some information about uh, what Zack Snyder had planned for his version of the DCEU. Apparently, he wanted to kill Batman at some point. Uh, Of course. Brad, tell us about it.
0: Yeah,
3: buckle up, bros. Batman was going to go down in Zack Snyder's uh, planned vision of the entire DC Extended Universe. Uh, as we've learned in the aftermath of um, Batman vs. Superman and Justice League, uh, Zack Snyder initially had a a five-movie plan for what he was going to do with DC Comics characters involved in uh, these movies. And at some point along the way, he was going to kill off Batman. Uh, there, a, a Twitter user posted um, an image that look, kind of looks like an, an, an icon of some sort, like a, a sticker that you might have gotten when you were checking in, like on Foursquare or something, of Superman holding Batman's limp body. And it said, you know, what we may have seen in the five-story arc with the obvious, uh, you know, hashtag, release the Snyder Cut. Um, and apparently he also posted this to Vero, which is, for some reason, Zack Snyder's social media Outlet of choice, and apparently he he, he's commented- friends
1: with the uh, creator of that uh, service. So I think that's why I, I think there might even be a money deal or something. I don't know, that's just my speculation, but there's I don't uh, care.
3: So, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> um, but he, Zack Snyder, apparently went out of his way to reply to this, and he merely said, Of course, uh, confirming that at some point Batman would have died in this series. We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how, or anything like that. Um, i would imagine that maybe it might have happened during the two-part justice league uh series somewhere you know um but i feel like that's all it's it's a lot of death of superheroes uh in the dc and universe especially since you know the first we you know we, we lose superman at the end of Batman versus superman so uh, i you know i just i'm so I, I get exhausted when i read these kinds of things but i also there's a part of me that like wishes we really could have seen Zack snyder's full-on crazy wild vision for the dceu and like without having it interrupted by the studio or anything like that because i just i just wonder what it would have been like whether i would have liked it or not i just wish we could have seen it all play out somehow um because it seemed like he had this whole you know blueprint of where he wanted to go and what he was going to do and you know now it's even messier since they interrupted it. So I just I just wish they would have let it play out and then been like, okay, let's just you know reboot everything after this now. But there you
1: go. I I kind of wonder, you know, didn't they make like a comic adaptation of uh, Kevin Smith's Superman Lives script a few years back, or am I or maybe they're in the uh, the process of making that? I would be interested in seeing a comic adaptation of the the quote unquote Snyder cut and see where the DCEU would have went in his uh in his hands. I th- I think that could be an interesting way to go of it, but I I doubt that uh Zack Snyder uh is probably interested in that. It sounds, sounds like a uh, you know his relationship with DC is probably not uh the greatest as as of right now possibly. So I I don't think we're going to see that, but I would love to see that version. Um let's move on to our last and final story and that is that Netflix is going to soon allow users to choose their own endings for certain shows. Chris, what do we know? Uh,
2: yeah, Netflix has been testing this uh, mostly with kid shows, where you know you can use the, I guess, the remote to point and click certain things. Uh, but now they want to do it for adults, and they're going to test it out with an upcoming episode of the new season of black mirror where you can decide how an episode ends. So there you have it. And they want to try it with other shows as well, but the black mirror episode is going to be the inaugural run for, for adult viewers. So if that's something you're into, you're, you're going to get it
1: soon. (laughs) Do, Do we know any other shows other than black mirror that might employ this?
2: uh they're developing a minecraft show but that's going to be for you know younger viewers but that's going to have it too and then there's one other live action show for adults that they haven't actually named it yet but it's going to have the same sort of uh interactive uh ability
1: now i've always been compelled by the kind of choose your own adventure idea like i used to read those books as a kid i i, I still have like a wolverine Uh, based on the Marvel uh, Comics Wolverine character uh, book that's a choose-your-own-adventure book. um, I do believe that, you know, uh, drama and good storytelling is dependent on authorship of the entire story. And when you have users choosing their own directions of where it could take, I do think that uh, you lose uh, a bit in story. Um, I, I've tried to argue this in the past, uh, because I'm, you know, an old grump who doesn't think, uh, stories in video games are as good as stories in movies for this one reason. I know a lot of people that play video games, uh, you know, really disagree with my assessment there. Um, but, uh, uh Brad, would you be interested in, you know, having branching storytelling in like a series on Netflix?
3: No, sir. I don't like it. <laughs> um, but you are a fan of video games I do love video games But that's also like how that medium is supposed to be Because you're completely in control uh, you know, Of your character and that kind of thing Granted you have a narrative that you have to follow But you're in control of a lot more than you would be Than in this choose your own adventure kind of thing I just feel like My biggest complaint about this is that The ending of a story Is an artistic choice And I feel like Giving people the opportunity to choose what ending they want Takes away from the significance and meaning of that ending and how it, you know, impacts the the characters and wraps up the story. And, you know, I'm sure that... Well, I I don't
1: think that users are going to be able to choose the ending they want. They're going to choose a decision.
3: For sure. But at the same time, like, that feels like People are going to write a story where oh there could be these multiple endings but we just don't want to pick one and so we're going to let you do it and I just I don't know part of me feels like it it almost feels lazy in a way because you're not making a definitive choice for your characters and for your story and even though it's it's meant to be created in that fashion uh, I just I don't know I just I just don't like it like I, when I watch TV shows and movies I want there to be some you know a, a direction that it's heading towards. Where I'm not the one who's guiding it, and I want there to, like to be a, a
2: definitive choice in, in how it ends.
1: Chris, I I have a feeling that you are of, a, of the same mindset here.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm right there. It, it's it, I don't really like this, and I hope it fails. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, please don't do this, Netflix.
1: Just just what, what about in the context of a Black Mirror episode? That sounds like it could be you know perfect. I mean,
2: Yeah, I guess it could work on like a super meta level, but I don't, I don't want it. Just let's, can we just not do this? Can we just not do anything we're doing right now? Let's just every, let's just all, let's shut everything down until we figure out what's going on. That's what I would like to know.
1: See, I I wish like they would do this Black Mirror episode where it, it does have like not just a choose your ending, but a, a whole choose your own adventure kind of story. And I wish they would do it in a way that when you made the choice, there is no way to go back and rewatch the the episode of TV without seeing it with your choices so your choices have a permanence on netflix so that uh basically you can only experience a, that episode in the one way that you chose to experience it except for i'm sure people would upload the other choices and stuff online illegally but what do you think of that idea
2: uh i definitely like that idea better just because it's <laughs> i don't know that that sounds a little more uh interesting but yeah i don't think yeah. it would even be possible to do that
1: yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. Anyways, we have uh, officially hit the wall here. We, 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 we've hit the end of today's slash film daily. Uh, Brad, where can people find more of your work online?
3: Slashfilm dot Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderson, and my own podcast. Go fix yourself.
1: Chris, where can we find you online? Uh, also, SlashFilm.com dot com and on Twitter at C Evangelista four thirteen. Uh, you can find me at slashfilm. You can find Siri on my phone. Uh, She likes to speak up every once in a while. And uh, you can uh, find all these stories on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. Uh, SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And uh, leave your name, General Geographic Location, in case we mention the email on the air. Please go to our iTunes page, rate us a very positive review. It helps us uh, spread the word, tell your friends, and we will see you tomorrow. So, so wait, guys. You, you never read, like, uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books at all when you were a kid?
2: No, I never did.
1: I read Goosebumps.
2: That was about it. And Stephen I read, King.
3: I read a couple of Choose Your Own Adventure Goosebumps books, actually, but I was never, like you know, super into them or anything like that.
1: I, I, they were always kind of a cheat anyways, because it was kind of like you, you made a decision that t- kind of like if you made the decision that I think took you off the path that the author wanted you to go on, it eventually led back to that path. Does that make sense? Like it wasn't like a branch, like a uh, if you imagine a tree and how it branches out, it was kind of like uh, a straight line with loops that come off and then connect back to the uh you know the main thrust of the story which i'm assuming is how they would have to do it on these shows but uh i don't know no nope, thanks